Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Beer Ladies podcast with your hosts, Lisa, Katie, Christina, and myself, Tandy. You can find us at our website or all over social media. Our website is beerladiespodcast.com and our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, Blue Sky, TikTok, and even Facebook are at Beer Ladies Pod or Beer Ladies Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can find our merch store link uh, on any of our social media bios uh, or in the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode, do mail us at beerladiespodcast at gmail.com. Now back to the beer. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Beer Ladies Podcast and happy 2024. Happy New Year. Yay. I can't believe Christmas was over already. You know? Actually, it's already the middle of January. It's past the middle of January. And <laughs> like, you know, we say, it, we say it all the time, and I'm sure you've had these conversations around the water cooler, but where the hell does the time go? Um yeah, we had we had we had great plans to come back uh, to recording much earlier in January, but we did. we're all busy. We're all busy. <laughs> so it is what it is. But anyway, here we are. Today we have myself, Tandy, and I've got a, a midge or something flying around me, which is annoying me. But we also have Lisa and Katie. Hello. Right. And today we are talking about bitters. I mean, bitters, what, what, what is a bitter? What, you know, is it a style of beer? Is it only found in the UK? Like what's going on with a bitter? Um, so we'll go through a little bit of, you know, history and where it came from. We'll talk a little bit about what to look for in a bitter. I mean, maybe a little bit of how to brew one, but I'm not promising anything. I've done uh, <laughs> not enough research today, um, but we'll, we'll, you know what, we also want to talk about the perception of bitters and other UK styles in Ireland, because it is, a unique place, um, uh, you know, for beer, and so we'll talk a bit about that. But yes, let's uh, let's get going with what are you drinking, Katie? I'm going to start with you because I know that uh, you know. I'm on the water tonight, uh, completely on the water because I was not organised enough, and I actually don't have anything in the fridge. I don't know what's going on with me. Ah, <laughs> crazy! It does happen, so... especially after the holidays, you know. There we you go. Could, I'm going to have to do an order somewhere. You could just have blamed dry January and we would have all believed you. I just said that, but I'm not doing dry January. <laughs> <laughs> no, dry so January all the way. That would have been a lie. That would have been a lie. Yes, we are always truthful here. So, Indeed. I'm just of my own art. <laughs> and, uh, but I will take this, this, this quick minute to display my t-shirt. Which <gasps> says... Gutubben, which 
will take me on a little bit of a tangent after we've done the what are you drinking with other people yes very good very good lisa what you got so i uh i had a bitter uh i thought again i thought i had a bitter in my fridge but it turned out that past me and i went back into my untapped to check past me over the holidays drank all the bitter in the fridge and again because there weren't very many of them so it, it sounds like a really heroic effort to say oh, i drank all the bitter there were like two uh but so instead i have valley kill cabins brickyard red ale and as we get into it we'll talk a bit about why this is all still very much appropriate for talking about bitter and i know tandy you and i'll talk about how we've been back and forth to the uk recently and maybe some bitters we've had there of late so much to discuss but Indeed. over to you yes Yep, well, I'm on the same train of the Red Ale <laughs> and not a butter. Um, I've got um, Eight Degrees Brewing and it's Sunburned Irish Red Ale. And they say here, Caramel, Malt and Bitter Orange, which is a very nice descriptor um, for a Red Ale. Um, so, when, so when I was looking for a bitter, so listeners, to let you in behind the curtain a little bit, we had an episode planned for tonight and then we had to quickly change the topic <laughs> because we, we weren't all prepared or available to to do what we had planned. So this is why we're a bit, um, <laughs> you know, we're a bit lost. The place. But it's okay. We you make know, it we happen. We know some stuff. We make it happen. We do. But I was a little disappointed because I went into, you know, like my local um, O'Brien's, Tesco, all you know, all the rest, my little strip mall where I have everything. And to be honest, I didn't look in Tesco. I could have probably found something there, but in the O'Brien's, there was not a bitter to be found, nothing. And I couldn't find either like an English pale ale or something like a little bit adjacent. So it was it was a red ale for me. And the only thing I want to say is that I almost wish that we could find those um, those Lochgill ESBs yes. um, around because, oh, those were good. Yes, those really were wonderful. Those. Yeah. So I don't know if they're just not you know, ramping back up after the uh, the holidays. But yeah, Lochgill folks, we love that ESB. So more, more of it, please. It is delicious. So it was divine. And it was just um, nice to find something interesting and different, and especially like in LD. So I didn't go to LD today, but that's where we found the ones the last time. So it was, yeah, really, really cool. Yeah. Well, I know okay. you've both gone for red ale. Mm. We have. Yes. For reasons, um, maybe? For reasons. <laughs> what are the reasons? Why is, is, is a red ale a bitter? Is a bitter like a red ale? What are we talking about here? Are we controversial? Maybe. Maybe. Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. So I can tell you that from a home brewing perspective, um, if you're brewing, you sometimes brew to a style or sometimes you just brew with ingredients on hand, right? And sometimes your beers will end up looking redder than what you thought or looking darker than what you thought or lighter than what you thought because the way that the malts play when you're brewing is not um, always predictable, especially with a new recipe. Um, so, you know, when we talk about a bitter as a beer style, and there is a BJCP style for bitters, um, there are three under an ordinary bitter, a best bitter, and a strong bitter, but these are beers that grew out of British pale ales, and why we posit that red ales and pale ales, you know, are really very adjacent to, to bitters is that, um, they were obviously supposed to be slightly more bitter. You know, that they've got to have prominent bitterness. Uh, that's the, you know, the real defining factor of the style. But as for the 
the kind of the look and the mouthfeel and the drinkability, it's very similar to red ales. And sometimes they're conflated because red ales can have a little bit more of a caramel note depending on you know recipes that you're brewing and bitters don't normally or they're not supposed to um but what you also find is that if uk and um, or british bitters are exported to faraway places like the usa that caramel sometimes comes out so there is a lot of people that think that caramel is part of the bitter style whereas it is much more acceptable in the red ale but anyway i digress the point is is that pale ales Bitters and red ales are all very much closely related. Very much of a muchness. We're, we're almost, yes. for those listening, we're making little little Venn diagrams that look almost like circles. So Almost like a circle. <laughs> but so, uh, they're very similar. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll talk a little bit more about the history in a little bit, but I think just to, to tag on a little more to, to the red ale bit, you know, if we, and we'll link in the show notes too, because Martin Cornell has a, a wonderful thing about, you know, how everything about Irish red ale is lies, which is, facts that it's lies um but again he points out that you know if you'd looked at you know before they they launched some of the red ale stuff in the you know sort of the 70s and 80s you know smithics and things like that were all basically the same as what you would get in sort of like a fuller's london pride or like no big difference to like grain bill or what it ends up looking like you had, you had kind of a coppery beer in your glass so you know it's an interesting you know do people just not want to say it so that's it there you go yeah. is that the question answered it's not really it kind of is but but this is the thing like no one will ever agree right so they it gives people something to argue about down the pub which is you know all good and it's a healthy thing to argue about right it's good to argue about beer and not about you know other things so maybe it's a good yeah. thing to discuss Indeed. I mean, they, they, for me, they're, they're not the same. Like, I don't think of them the same. I wouldn't judge them against the same criteria because that's just not, that's just not it. But they are, they, they came from, you know, largely the same root, root beer of like, you know, pale ale and your English pale ales and your bitters, you know, they're, they're just kind of similar. I think one of the defining factors of bitter though, is that they were born out of and mostly served on cask. So, yes. you know, fair enough, a lot of beers back in the day would have been, but served on cask gave them a very different and distinct kind of profile compared to things that were happening out in Czechia or in, you know, other places. So that's another thing that we'll get to, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think you still see that today where it's, you know, even if you're over in the UK, I feel like it's much more common to see a bitter or at least an ESB maybe on cask than maybe just a pale ale, which I'm, I'm air quoting here, even though... Again, to your point, Andy, like the, the grain bills may be broadly similar. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if you want to really make an argument about distinction, you can say, well, nowadays you can be a lot more precise in what malts you're putting in and how yes. roasted or not those are. But still, what, especially when you're homebrewing, you're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. Like, obviously, at a production level, you are. But it's, you know, if, if we're talking mm. about the 19th century, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in a bit, like... There's a continuum there. And, you know, probably each brew is going to look a little bit different. Some will be darker, some will be lighter, you know, even at that industrial level at that at that stage. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the other thing that you might look for in, in, in different kinds of beers of these natures is just looking at the almost English style hops. So they are different from 
American style pale ales, American style amber ales, you know, because they're um, they use different hop varieties and they bring different flavors. So that's one point of distinction. But between the sort of Irish red and the, you know, special bitter or best bitter, debatable. No, absolutely. And I, and I would say from that hops perspective, I feel like, and again, this is this is a feeling, this is not a fact, but I feel like in Ireland, we tend to have more American style hops than you would get in the UK. We don't have as much of those kind of, you know, earthy or fuggles or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Typically, now again, I'm sure there are exceptions to that, but I feel like whether it's a craft beer thing or or just kind of the where we are now, I feel like we don't get that as much. So even in maybe the same, again, same styles, which again, I'm air quoting, but I don't know if that's just my perception or if either of you have noticed that you just kind of don't see the same ones. And I wonder if that's a supply issue or, or if it's just a taste issue. I don't know, but preference. Well, I think that mm. in Ireland, people like bitter, we've mentioned it there, both Lisa, was well, Tandy went to the shops, couldn't get one. Lisa only had two in her fridge and there's a reason for that and that bitter is not big in Ireland and I suppose growing up we would have watched on television and it would all nearly always be somewhere like Emmerdale you know watching on the telly and they'd walk into oh god I can't remember the the wool pack the wool pack pack. on Emmerdale there you go and go I'll have a pint a bit of their love that wasn't even a northern accent was it I tried (laughs) it was terrible pint of bitter and I remember going over uh when I first went over to the UK and I said oh I'll have a pint of bitter and I think it was something like Tetley's or something that was oh yeah yeah only the finest yeah yeah and um I suppose it was a lot warmer than I was accustomed to and a lot flatter than I was accustomed (laughs) to so yeah and you hear a lot of people saying it's it's warm and flat so I know you guys are loving it but I suppose maybe I've never I haven't been exposed to good bitter well, that that's a really good question, and, and I think we'll, I we'll chat a little more about some of those perceptions too. Because again, we're we're gonna talk about Martin Cornell again, because you know, friend of the pod. Uh, but I, I think just to stick on that warm and flat bit, I wonder how much of that is was it a keg that was, or sorry, a cask near the end of its, you know, frankly, couple day life once it had been tapped. Was it sort of bad, you know, bad keeping, or was it really like just not a great? beer to begin with was it too warm like you know you wouldn't know necessarily unless you go somewhere where you really know like they know what they're doing so yeah and I suppose it was my first time ever trying the style and quite a few years back so I had no no comparison you know I had no marker it's terrible when you try a new style and that first one doesn't hit right. Yeah, um, yeah, because because you just often put off the whole style. And I mean, a lot of people have put off, let's say, craft beer as a whole if they just tried one double IPA and it was like way too much for them. Exactly. And like, oh, exactly. I'll never try, you know, an amber ale, or I'll never try a, a, a sour or whatever after that, which sucks. But it does happen. Um, but with the with the warm and flat, I'm sure, Lisa, you're going to talk about it more. But you know, traditionally bitters would have been served on cask, and cask is a whole skill in and of itself, managing um, a cask seller, you know, you often have the person who just manages the casks. And it's, you know, the beers are almost, um, they're fermented, but sometimes not fully, they often finish their fermentation in the cask to sort of somewhat produce a little bit of that carbonation that you're going to get, and then they're hand pulled, you know, it's like almost a, I don't know how to describe it. it's like a gravity, but it's a, um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a hand pump. Yeah, you're, you're making it the happen. beer to you. And that's the way that it gets carbonated. But it's a bit of a loose term because they are less carbonated, definitely, um, from the cask. Bottled and canned versions will now be different. They'll be more carbonated. But from the pump, they're, yeah, they're less carbed. And then the, the temperature is interesting because that um, cask temperature, I think it's, let me double check. Let me not make things up. But it's not meant to be warm. It's just warmer than what we're accustomed to because yeah. big breweries sold us on the idea that all beer must be freezing, freezing, freezing cold. Um, and within the setting of a warm pub, it should still be chilled, but it's not freezing cold like we're so used to now, um, I'd say. Wow. Yeah. So you're telling us that that big beer decided to put little things on their labels to show that they're cold so that we couldn't taste all the shite. Well, and, and here's a funny thing about that, too. I, I've noticed this for the first time when I was in London most recently over the holidays. I saw Guinness labeled as being extra cold. And I was like, yeah. what's that then? What's that all about? So I've only seen that in the UK. I don't know, you know Guinness friends tell us if this is happening other places, but it I was to be a fascinated by that. Yeah, extra cold. So, mm. and it was, this is, you know, on a lineup that had a Fuller's London Pride and, you know, some things that we would think of as very traditional sort of English beers, um, you know, a couple of different bitters, a couple of different pale ales, and then like your Carling Black label and your, you know, that kind of thing. But I was like, you, you know, clearly these were all served at one temperature. This was not like where you go to Fidelity and they're literally dialing in the <laughs> yes, exact temperature. Tap. This was, so I was like, what is extra cold? What does this mean? I have so many questions, so. Yeah, it's weird, you know, because I remember a colleague um, of a few years back telling me that he remembers a time in Ireland where Guinness was not cold, you know, or at least not as cold as what it is now. Yeah. And and it is quite strange because, you, you know, as we all know, if you serve it really, really cold, any beer, it doesn't matter what style, but you do, you, you're masking or at least not letting some of the flavors come out. Now, it's not to say you must drink your beer at, 16 degrees or you know, something very warm but but you know for your beers that have got interesting malts um especially it's really beneficial to have them a little bit warmer whether that's a stout um or whether that's a belgian a belgian style you know there's well there's lots of different beer styles that just benefit from being slightly warmer um, and it really confuses me to see guinness especially pouring cold that's yeah I thought Odd. that was so strange. But to go mm. back to the point around kind of the the, the art, if you like, of, of actually mm. pulling the cask, when I was at the, the Mullingar Cask Festival here, which was so much fun, I, I think the, the 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 sort of talk, which may have been true or at least close enough to being true that everyone kind of agreed, I think we had basically every beer engine in, you know, the Republic of Ireland there, like all seven or some very small number that were you know at least up and running or could be made to be up and running and everyone was kind of learning as they as they went uh even people who'd done it before were kind of like oh got to get back into practice but uh but that was that was so interesting to me to sort of be see everyone being like we know that this is the thing other people know how to do and just trying to kind of get get around to it but but again i, I want to say there was only one beer that was you know actually labeled as a bitter there were some pale ales and there was really really lovely things um but also uh dead center had their sham maths which is their amber on so again does it does it count potentially and I, I think we'll circle back to this more too because i know martin again has written some stuff about how a lot of bitters are getting rebranded as amber or equivalent uh. so but again, we, we can get into that in a bit. But I thought that was interesting that it is this kind of almost lost art 
here and uh you know one had to kind of scramble to make it happen so now, um, now here's here's one for the brewers sorry sorry katie here's one for the brewers because i've never brewed for a cask before but i've certainly had some bad beers from cask right do you have to brew them differently? You know, do you, because I know that within the cask, you're almost secondary fermenting them or you're leaving some of the fermentation to be in the, in the cask or in the barrel itself. It's almost like you would bottle condition your, um, wow. your beers at home. If you're making like a Saison or something that's got a really interesting and, and needs different carbonation or a vice, you know, you're almost, you're carbonating it in the bottle that you're going to serve it in. That's effectively what happens in the cask barrel or the barrel itself is that it's secondary fermentation is there, but do you have to brew it in such a way that, um, that is different? I don't know. Cause it is quite different if you kick. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and thinking about like the, you know, the, the brewers I know who do cask regularly, and I'm thinking about actually an American one, Machine House uh, in Seattle, they do, uh, you know, tons of, of things for cask, and they, they will do a lot of, you know, dry hopping or, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, a couple of things like that, again, to get that sort of secondary kick, if you like. Um, so they do a lot of that. But yeah, I'm not sure what else would change. And, and I will say I used to go to a cask festival every year, again, in Seattle, also a great one in Philadelphia, but one in Seattle where there would at least be one section of the festival that was all about people and i'm just gonna say people putting weird shit into the cask and <laughs> that was part of the experience and every now and again that would be really interesting and successful and other times not so much where you're like why did yeah. we do this this was a lovely base beer that we've thrown all sorts into which you know Rose again pickles. Oh God, yeah, you know, cacao nibs, your rose petals, lots of tea, you know, all these things that, you know, on paper, that sounds great. And sometimes it did work. I do want to say sometimes fantastic, but other times you're like, why? This would have been mm. really nice. So, but it, mm. I think it's a really good question. So yeah, so brewer friends, are you doing things mm. differently, at least at that more, you know, professional level for cask? And I don't have a good sense of that. So mm. yeah, I also don't. Um, and maybe it's because, yeah, I don't, I've never brewed one to be served on a cask, so I've, yeah, I've no. never on that. But I have, a, I have a feeling that once primary fermentation is done, you then transfer it to the cask to let it do its secondary fermentation. Right. And at that point, you might now need to add a little bit of extra yeast or a little bit of extra uh, uh, malt grains or sugars of some variety to get that fermentation active. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, Katie, if some of the sort of perceptions of flat and warm comes from either not active enough yeast or bottom of the barrel or or it's been sat there for too long. But um, the other thing about it is that it's normally it's it's unpasteurized. So, you know, yeah. if you're getting if you're getting a bitter that's in a can, it's more than likely been pasteurized in some other way or, at, you know, at least pseudo pasteurized. And so. They're very um, fickle in the cask, and that's yeah. why it takes such skill um, to to manage the the exact right time to serve, the exact right time to know that it's done. And it is, as Lisa said earlier, it's sometimes a couple of days. It's like two or three days, and then it's gone because otherwise it can go a bit sour and you know it can taste a bit weird. There you go. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I I was gonna say that um, yeah, all of the cask engines in Ireland were at the um the cask beer festival and it's like if you compare us to our nearest neighbors 
the difference is astounding. And do yeah. we have theories? I have theories. What are our theories for this? And, and oh are we going to blame Big Beer? <laughs> Local Big Beer. Ooh. Well, well, that, 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 is, that is a theory because, and I'll just tell you for, you know, for those listening who have never been to Ireland or who don't live here, um, you know, Ireland and the UK are not the same place, obviously, but, but a lot of people need reminding. Uh, Northern <laughs> Ireland is obviously part of the UK, but the Republic of Ireland is not. It's part of the EU. But regardless of, you know, when, when that all came about, I thought still, because, because, you know, England and Ireland are effectively neighboring countries, you know, I thought that the, the culture and the, uh, the beer culture specifically and the pub culture would be quite similar. It's really not. Uh, it was fascinating to me to come here and see in what what I thought would be a more of a UK model where there's often pubs that have got their own beers, you know, brewed in a tiny system downstairs, often cask pulled, um, as well as the big names, you know, as well as your um, as your stock standard range. But you don't see that here. Well, I think we've mentioned on the pod before, there, there aren't as many, or at least not many that have survived, like local breweries that are attached to pubs. Um, I don't know of any offhand, which doesn't mean that they don't exist. And, no. and and then the style of beers, like everything is so different. In Ireland, you'll often see now, notwithstanding the sort of movement of, of craft beer of late, but you'll see your Heineken, you'll see Guinness. <laughs> and now, you know, you'll probably see one or two other macro type beers, but Guinness is by far the biggest beer and it owns everything. Diageo owns everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's a funny thing, too, because I would say I, I would have had the same impression before moving here. And, and and even I would say maybe even just those couple of years of coming here before moving here, I, I felt like there, it, it felt more broadly similar. And maybe it was just the styles that were being brewed at the time by those craft brewers. I feel like there might have been more pale ales. There might have been more. Actually, probably there were more amber ales, things like that. But then I feel like then all the Hayes boys took over. And so that's that's kind of, you know. We're all there now, but it's 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 a funny thing because I was writing up a little bit on kind of the kind of the nuances that are different in just the pub culture between you know the UK and here in Ireland, and even things about like do you order at the bar or not? I feel like are very different compared to over there, and it's you know they're, they're only over there, but uh, there's mm. a lot of more sort of subtle differences, and I do feel that pubs here tend to be more inclusive. Everyone like you tend to see more kids more, you know, more people of sort of multi-generational, uh, you know, sort of people all over the place. I feel like pubs in the UK, and again, this is a generalization, tend to be more kind of these people go to this pub, these people go to this pub. And I don't know if it is for a particular reason or if it's it's part of it, but even just something like, do you order at the bar or not is, you know, it, it's not a yes or no necessarily. So just some mm. things like that. But then when you bring into the styles and especially like around cask, and again, I love cask and I have certain places I go whenever I'm in the UK, which luckily is relatively often for, for that kind of thing. So I can get my fix whenever mm. I'm over. But, uh, but, it, but it is interesting and I do find I will really over-index on everyone's bitter as opposed to everyone's like fun, cool, new, whatever craft thing. Cause I'm like, no, I want your old man beers. I want to go to the old man pub and I'm just gonna, definitely. You know. And it's, it, it does feel though, like that's what you have to do to get it in some places, not everywhere, but there's, there's, I would say there is perception. And again, UK friends, let us know, are we on the right track here? I do feel like there is still that sort of camera, you know, mm. sort of inspired thing of, you Influence, know, this, yeah. 
Yeah, that it's still kind of this, you know, kind of, again, kind of an old man thing to overgeneralize those that's who's drinking the bitters. And I, and I will say, certainly when I lived in the north of England, too, it would be those people who turn up when the pub opens, you know, to get their one pound pint, mm. which, oh, my God, you know, but they'd be, you know, they'd be getting their kind of flat bitter. Um, So, you know, I, I, like, is is it also sort of inspired by a, a truth? I, I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know. Um, but but as you say, because it's not just pub culture and things, but it's the styles. So, you know, I was really surprised to come here to see the big the big macro beers were always lagers and then Guinness. So being right. a stout, right? That's cool. Not not a whole lot in between. Whereas in the UK, okay, you'll get your you'll get your lagers and you'll get your uh, often Guinness and things there, but yeah. there's just normally a a slightly bigger range of of your standard beers so a bitter a pale ale and you know maybe something else maybe well a golden ale is really just a light bitter but like you know you might just get those kinds of things which i think is interesting yeah and i guess part of that comes out of the like you were saying that whole kind of tide you know tide pub culture because like your green king pubs are all going to have like your green king bitter or ipa but again yes. i feel like they've been rebranding a lot of these things as just IPA, regardless of what they are, and we've talked about, you know, kind of IPA mm. creep before, and we certainly have that here as well, too. Oh, yes. To That's a certain extent. One. But yeah, everything's an IPA. But uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and bitters really are the other, you know, if bitters came from parallels, um, IPAs really came from bitters. I mean, that's just... It you know, all works, kind of and, wind. and and maybe that's actually a perfect sort of segue to, to, to dive into the history for a little bit, because mm. like we're saying, you know, British... 19th century, you know, you can put on whichever sort of empire hat you want to for that, because that's, you know, here we all are. But, uh, you know, we're again, we're talking, you know, pale ales, but, uh, you know, again, I'm, and I'm re relying here on the Oxford Companion to Beer, which I, I am well aware has certain inaccuracies here and there. And um, again, Martin, we're waiting for your next book. So just all will be corrected there. No pressure. But it's, it's really interesting that, you know, it even says here, you know, that people don't even start calling it bitter until kind of mid to late, you know, 19th century. And then they're just using bitter to say, I don't mean that mild because the mild is less mm -hmm. hopped, you know, again, but both in both cases, you're drinking it pretty soon after it's brewed. This is it's not sitting around. You're not aging this by any means. This is a beer you're drinking fresh. So this it's, you know, bitter is really just to kind of disambiguate from mild which still has hops of course but not as much so it, it but again it you know when we look at how you know how hops have evolved even you know just since you know when we can actually sort of track hop evolution from kind of you know the, the beginning of the 20th century or probably not much before like we know that they've gotten so much sort of stronger more distinct in style so it's hard to know what those 19th century hops would have been like and how distinct those bitters would have been from those mild. So it's interesting that people felt they had to say, oh, I want that, not that. Like how how mm. different was it is something I'm very curious about. Because again, when we look at recipes, we see the grain bill and we might see what hops they're using, but a lot of times it'll just be like, hops. You're like, ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know the way the 90s you had like the hops race? Oh God. Was, was bitter like, the hops race of its time that is from, a really good question oh I, I love i love that as a concept oh gosh maybe there's a prestige you know dramedy to be made just saying that's a really good question 
so the IBU of a bitter would not be like an IPA or, or is there overlap in like a it almost Any, certainly no. wouldn't have been as strong, at least just from like an mm. ABV perspective. So I think it would be hard to get both enough, like you know, high enough ABV and yeah, yeah, and to to make it as bitter as you know. And and again, I I'm thinking aloud here, so I'm like, eh, probably not. But mm. um, but it's interesting that again, this point is you know they're they're not this one color. They could be very pale. They can be, you know, quite a deep almost brown red. <laughs> you know exactly there is no one like I feel like you know now we often think of, like I feel like people think of a Fuller's London Pride is what a bitter mm. looks like but that's only one and there's a lot of variation and certainly when like if you're just going to a place where they do a lot of really good cask and you order a bitter it might be quite pale it might be yeah. fairly dark there's really a lot of variability but I, I think again what's what's interesting is that you know we're looking in here until recently most beer consumed in the uk was cast conditioned beer on draft served in pubs but because the customers were calling the beer bitter the term stuck and then the brewers began to use it so again kind of driven mm. by the consumer there's there's a really interesting piece there mm. but um but, but you know I, I, again i think the the other interesting thing is you know that the bits that haven't changed like it, it really does feel like we're we're talking about again with with a lot of these sort of historic ones we're really talking about kind of these these 19th century recipes that haven't changed very much in terms of you know what malts they're using or at least maybe what maybe how roasted though or not those malts are you know, obviously the specifics may change a little bit but again we're talking about you know fuggles goldings you know these very mm. specific varieties but but again there's so much variation in you know even back then like how bitter some of these would have been or not or you know, they can be kind of all over the place. But I, I think it is it is interesting that even, you know, when you're looking at kind of the, the historical angle, you know, if you're reading about, if, especially if you're reading old newspaper ads, which was a lot of what you're doing to kind of figure out what's going on here, like, it, is what they're calling a thing the thing? Like, or are they calling, or are they doing the same thing? Are they calling everything a bitter when it's something else where they're that they're kind of IPA wash of the day? So... Well, exactly. And I mean, you know, back back in those times, you probably only had three or four choices of beer max. You know, you probably had a slightly maltier, lighter one, which was probably the mild. You know, you probably had the slightly hoppier one and it's maybe slightly stronger, but not much stronger than the mild. That was your bitter. Maybe you got something slightly stronger and then you might have had a start or you might have had something dark or aged. Maybe that was a distinction. But, you know, bitter, bitters were drank fresh. But their focus was on the the bitterness, not not again like IPAs now, with yeah. the aroma plays a big role and the hop flavor plays a big role. Bitters aren't always hop forward in their flavor, but the 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 backbone is bitter, and it should be bitter. Um, but again, by by today's standards, where we've all been party to the IBU race, they don't always taste as bitter as what we'd imagine. But you know, you must remember these are you know beers from another time and I think they're beautiful and very complex um well that's the thing I think that's something that's really easy to understate is some of these can be so complex and flavorful and at such a relatively low ABV again we're talking three to five percent mm. for most but some of these there's a lot going on and you're just like oh you can just kind of sit there and sip now again this tells me I, I shouldn't be sipping I should be drinking it's very but I, I'll have to read one bit out because I think we'll all appreciate this 
Because <laughs> although foreigners sometimes describe bitters as warm and flat, <laughs> Katie, this is this is on you. This is on you. Yeah. They're actually best served at cellar temperature, you know, 11 to 14 C. No one wants warm, flat beer, least of all a veteran bitter enthusiast. And, you know, fair enough. But it, it's uh, it's a funny thing, though. And this shows you how quickly these kind of books become out of date, not just in that particular mm. language, which was a whole journey we went on together. But in, mm. you know, he says, today, many North American brewers brew a bitter. Hales Ale and Red Hook uh, launched their versions in 1984. And... Those beers are hot garbage now, so it's I wouldn't call them that. They they have evolved, not necessarily in a good direction. So it's it's a really interesting thing that, you know, you did have this this era of sort of you know kind of I would say mid to late '80s up into the '90s of like a lot of the American craft brewers were making you know they were making a bitter, they were making a stout, and they were making a pale ale because that's what everyone did in the UK and that's how it must have been the right thing to do. So, it, but it's it's an interesting yeah. thing then that so many of these have kind of disappeared as we've, again, had that hops arm race and uh, arms race and all of these kind of things. But it's, it's, it's interesting that, again, these things are all, you know, sort of cyclical too. So at some point, you know, the wheel comes back around and we'll, we're waiting, I guess. Mm. Yeah, indeed. So here's a random fact for you for you both and everyone at home. Um, we, we often, and I think everybody falls trapped to this, but we often talk about the different kinds of bitters. There's an ordinary bitter, a best bitter, and technically it's a strong bitter. It's not a ESB because ESB is trademarked by Fuller's. There you go. Ah. Yeah, so it's not a style. It's the way that Fuller's is described. You know, and that, that's such an interesting point. Like, how much of that comes from a specific brewer, or yeah, or and now are, they, multinational conglomerate? So there are really big brewers in the space. You know, it's not your it's not your mom and pop pub who are making bitters all the time. I mean, there are really really big players in the scene. Yeah, well, and, and again, to to go back to sort of this this thing about perception, and again, we, we're going to link to to a couple of these Martin Cornell articles, but. He's pointed out that they're now calling Fuller's, you know, London Pride, now instead of the best bitter, it's original ale. And oh, what does that mean? And he, he's got a bunch of other examples, too, that a lot of things have been rebranded as an amber ale. And again, we can go mm. back to the Sham Maths example. Is it really a bitter? Is is that why I, I say we don't have enough amber ales? Is because really what I'm looking for is a bitter. Um, maybe. But it's it's such an interesting point, and and again, I'm curious how much this is happening. You know, he's he named a couple of examples, but you know, what else do we have here that I think kind of fits into that category? We've talked about our red ales that I think again are, you know, very good fits. Probably some of our pale ales as well. Yeah. But it's uh, you know, we have all these things that you could probably just make a very slight shift, and no one would notice. Um, yeah. Although I'm a little sad, I'm a little sad that the names are changing because I think that even if, you know, even if largely they're the same thing as another style of beer, who cares, man? We're not, we're not governed by a BJCP style guideline. Um, oh, no, absolutely. Like the, you know, I quite like I, the fact that the country has its own <laughs> style. Oh, definitely. I, I wonder how much of it is uh, maybe some of those big brewers. And again, now that Fuller's is owned by a giant Japanese conglomerate. <laughs> are yes. like panicking about all your, uh, you know, your your Gen Z, Gen Z people just not drinking. Because I yes. know if you, if, if you put bitter in front of them, like, I don't want to drink a bitter thing. You're like, okay, but it's not bitter. And they're like, I don't care, shut up, you're, you're done. Like you've missed 
you know, they don't even give no, you that chance to interact. It's original ale. It's original ale. So yeah, so is that part of it? Is it trying to appeal to maybe a younger demographic that yeah, sees the word bitter, even if they don't have that flat, you know, warm association, which I'm sure some of them might, but do they have, do they just see bitter and are like, I'm out. I don't, I don't want that. So I wonder if it's just the word. And and, and again, I don't know. I don't know, but. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to know because I think that, um, and this, this is going to sound like the most boomer I've ever sounded like. Right. But <laughs> could, we, could we not just cater to the people that are actually buying the beer? Because I understand the need to bring new generations in, but like, it's not, it's, if Gen Z are not drinking, okay, that's fine. But you've still got a whole bunch of people right. who are, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And and again, like this whole kind of rebranding, he's got a whole bunch of other examples of, you know, the bitters becoming amber ales. And I, I completely agree. You're losing kind of the heritage of mm. the thing. Um, and, and honestly, if I looked at those and saw those slightly different pump clips, I'm going to assume it's a different beer, you know. Me just too. Me because, too. Because you know, and again, maybe that's my my weird boomer thing is I'm going to be like, well, I don't want that. I want the bitter. I don't want the, you know, this newfangled yeah. thing. But I don't know. I don't know. Although it's... realistically, I don't envy all these brewers and all these big companies that are simply losing a whole generation um, to their beers. But you know, when I read. Um, uh, it was one of Pete Brown's books. It was probably Man Walks Into a Pub. And he was talking about how lager became such a thing. You know, it was mm, always kind yeah. of, you know, you know, the ales, the bitters and the, and the things. And lagers were almost seen, in his opinion there, seen as like the not your dad's beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, ah. so, so in a way, if we're going to capture like a Gen Z, it needs to be not what your parents drink. And if your parents are all drinking craft beer, like chances are you're going to go for something that's not beer or something that is anti you know anti-craft so are you going to go back to macros fair <laughs> you know macros have sold well, well i mean since. they're popular for reason and i do wonder now again we've we've all not in any way lamented the demise of island's edge because no that was, <laughs> that was a, awful that was a fail. <laughs> there we go it's Less all it's all on it's all on brand but um but I think it's interesting, and I and I, again, I am glad that we're seeing Murphy's where there was this Island's Edge, you know, beachhead where we're like, no one wants this, like literally, no one wants this. But I've also been seeing more Beamish as well. So mm. is that part of that? Are I don't know whether it's younger drinkers or just people who are like, you know, I want something that's not Guinness, but I want kind of the same thing, which. You know, and again, I know like we're we're hearing thousands of voices like, no, they're completely different. But uh, and that's okay. You can you can be partisans for your your favorite set. And again, I like a Beamish, I like a Guinness, I like a Murphy's. But it's nice to have more than one, even if they're all macros. Yes. But I wonder if that is like you're saying, Tandy, that kind of response from the young people who maybe like, well, I don't want a Guinness because that's everywhere. But maybe I'll have a Beamish or a Murphy's because they're not quite as ubiquitous. But it's still like. You know, but then, but then if it's it just about being a little bit different, then why not order a bitter? Why? <laughs> like, well, because there aren't well, any. There are they can't find <laughs> well, any. Well, there aren't any here, no. <laughs> there aren't any here. But, you know, go go to the UK pub and now you'll see it as an amber and then you won't know what to order because, well, <laughs> you know, that sucks. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, Katie, good to go back to your example of like going over and being like, oh, a Tetley's, that sounds exotic. And, you know, having that, like, what, what do you think that's like now for maybe someone who's, 
you know, sort of 18, 19 in Ireland, they go to the UK for the first time. What are they getting these days? Are they going to try a Cascale? They're like, no, I'm going to get this Hayes boy, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. I just think that the youth, the youth, the youth, the youth, the youth aren't really into. They're not drinking. No, the drinking culture definitely in Ireland has, has, um, has flattened. Completely, they're all into fitness. Oh, what was that for? <laughs> and cocaine. <laughs> and cocaine. Okay, yeah, and that's an issue here. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's it probably because they're into fitness. You know, it, it's <laughs> not going fitness. to add calories to you. So, like, you know. <laughs> oh, they can just go for a run. It's fine. But yeah, and even things like the GAA are taken so much more seriously nowadays than they yeah. were like twenty years ago. Um. I think everybody went a bit mad over uh, some club in Galway had uh, their guidelines for their players. It's like, you will not be drinking. You have to show up for training. If you're <laughs> up in Dublin, you're expected to be here at least twice a week and things well, like then that. They pay so me it's to like... play. <laughs> right. And they, no, they don't pay. It's all, exactly. That's all what I'm saying. Amateur. It's not a professional no. sport. So why no. on earth would anybody listen to those rules? But I mean, I besides, your, you know, your impact. personal ambitions. <laughs> Yeah, that has had a massive impact, I think, on on alcohol and young people. And also, mm. it's very expensive. It's fair. Very yeah, expensive. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it like is it's very, very expensive. expensive. Yeah. I, like, I, I can understand how people, if they've got a certain budget, alcohol doesn't fit into it, but certain other things might, because I, I, I get it. Like, it's everything is, I mean, cost of living is crazy, right? Oh yeah. I mean, everyone is struggling. Everyone is suffering. You know, there's no increases in salary, but holy crap, are there increases in everything else? So it's just, yeah. And alcohol really isn't. It's a nice to have, isn't it? It's a treat. Be interesting if that. That'd be interesting if homebrewing comes back to to being more affordable again. Like because it's still so expensive. To well, not so expensive. We've talked before. You can start for for cheap, but will it become you know cheaper than a night out again? I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting it's a question. It's black hole where you can just like pour your like <laughs> hook, hook your salary straight up to a black hole called home it's, brewing. If you want. Oh, you could. You, know? you could. Yes. You could. You could. Um, and it's like, I think that still home brewing, like as much as people might want cheaper beer to get cheaper beer, that's actually really good. You do have to sink some money and time. and experience. You do. You, you do. To, you have to learn about stuff. It's not. Yeah, and it's it's a funny thing because I feel like when we first started homebrewing now a very long time ago, some of it was to get, you know, styles that were harder to find. I'm like, yes. do we have to start doing that again? Now, again, I, I will say like there was one like phenomenally good bitter at Hagstravaganza last year, but the, the brewery that made it is is uh, having to close up shop and is getting bought by another one. So that was, that's out in California, but it looks like it's a good you know, it's a good acquisition. It's all people who know each other. So hopefully that will all work out well for everyone. It was from uh, Bagby and it was, God, it was a just gorgeous, gorgeous bitter. Um, but Green cool Cheek name. will be picking them up. Yes, it was, so, it was so good. It actually was called, hang on. It was, it had a very uh, funny name. Uh, Bagby was the brewery and it was uh, King of the Britons. So it was all kind of a spam, yeah. you know, sort of a, <laughs> uh, sort of, you know, Munch Python spam Munch Python, kind of, yeah. um, Thing. but That's it was it was awesome. lovely it was so good so i hope that that beer continues to be made uh when green cheek takes them over but again isn't that all that you you know you you go to ireland for a beer festival 
one of the best beers is an English bitter from a California brewery. So it's all, right. you know, globalization. But, again, but that's that's the <laughs> thing. Like sometimes you've got to travel to find a nice bitter, at least one that's yeah. called a bitter. Arguably, as mm. we've been saying here, maybe they're mm. around. Now you're not going to get them on cask very often here, certainly. But you know, again, we can go bug no, bug Patty at Underdog and say, "Where are those? Where are those beer engines? We're waiting." Yeah, but it's you know, it's kind of like making bread. You know, bread is largely cheap. It's largely predictable, and you know what you're getting in all of that. When you start making bread at home, and I'm not talking about sourdoughs, I'm talking about just you know normal old you know, like yeasted bread, you'll soon realize how difficult it is to make a bread like you get like a sliced pan. Mm. You, you just how difficult that is because it's your bread will always be denser chewier not quite as malleable and light and it will be delicious but it's not the same bread and yeah. i think it's kind of the same with 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 brewing like people who think that they're going to get into it so that they can have cheaper version of, of a heineken <laughs> good luck right tell me your exactly. secret if you crack it because and i it's I not going to happen. say the irish slice pan is 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 a beauty oh my it's god it's a special thing i miss it when you're living abroad tandy's like no i don't you're not a fan yeah, no <laughs> oh my god Brennan, I'm i sorry. know i know and you know uh, i saw this um thread on reddit the other day and it was literally this it was this debate on like what is the okay. best like sliced bread or whatever that you can get in ireland and there was one person lowly in the comments and said please don't deport me <laughs> but it's hopeless because <laughs> they're from the uk and oh, i agree that's funny Oh, I, that's I funny. Terrible, like I want, I, like I really want to like the the Brennan sliced pan, but it's like uh, doesn't doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I, I feel like if I'm gonna okay. push the boat out, I do really like it. But if I'm gonna push the boat out and have all all the carbs and all the butter and things, because I will go through like phases of being like, now we eat toast or mm -hmm. you know equivalent. But I love like really good farls. Like that's another nice thing that you only get in Ireland, and that's that's nice too. So anyway, there you go, another. Another option, but I, I I always know like when I get to the stage where I'm eating a lot of toast, this is when when I then need to go back and start being like, no, no, we we don't we we don't do this except maybe of a Saturday. No, it's it's when everything has gotten completely off track. I I can't do it. I I you've got a toast. you've got a level of discipline that I aspire yeah. to, Lisa. Oh, uh, but I can't again, resist I, toast I do love some good toast. Are you kidding me? It's my favorite. Oh, well, now marmite. That's a whole discussion, but. I did once have a cask bitter podcast. with Marmite added. I was not a fan. <laughs> I'm sure I someone would be. I mean, on one hand, it's all, once. <laughs> it's all yeast, right? It's all yeast extract. Yes. And so... it comes from beer yeast. It's not. It, it does. It, it's, it's like the extract of beer yeast going back into beer. It's, But it doesn't work. It's just it not didn't, right. No, it didn't mommy. work. It was, it, exactly. It was just. And not even salty. It was just, yeah, just the umami. Mm -hmm. It was just almost it's like too umami. It tasted green, if that mm. makes sense. It was not. Yeah, it was not, not for me. It was not for me. Mm -mm. So, no, no. I it's, got it's... that note talking about <laughs> green. I'm going to show you my green yes! t-shirt. Yes. Oh, do you do you like what I did there? Oh, I love that. I love that. Very Friends, <laughs> Katie and I are going to Eurovision, and we can't wait. <laughs> And it's in only three months' time, guys. Come on. <laughs> only three oh. months. Where's your countdown? Well, we have to do another countdown first. And that countdown is to the 26th of January. 
Yeah. So maybe by the time you're listening, maybe this has already happened oh, or yes. we'll be close. We'll find out. We'll find out. But yeah. so. but the pubbin, which says on my t-shirt, which is a statement that means suddenly, suddenly. or as I, as, as would, what would have been said in West Clare's, of a sudden. Of a sudden. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, of a sudden, someone appeared. And um, <gasps> that is a song by Elsha which is one that I really, really like. And I'm also a big fan of a song by Bambi Thug. Their I enjoyed that as Tuesday well. Blues. I really like those two. Yes. So I'm hoping I will be voting. Um, And if this episode does go out before the Euro song, let's see. Let's vote. Everybody tune in Friday night. 26. We're, we're excited. Uh, 9.30 on RTE1. Guess what show it's on? It's on the Late Late Show. We've already <laughs> covered the toy show here before for people who are not from Ireland who are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, as far as my television is concerned, that's the only thing that RTE airs because that's the only time we've got it on. So, you know, there you go. It's for Eurosong, Eurovision and the toy show. That's that's it. So there you Same go. Same here. Tandy is like, yeah. I am not committing until they've all been decided <laughs> and then I'll start listening to the entries. I know, I know. It's really terrible, but like I, I really only get excited for Eurovision when everyone is finalized and then I've got a little bit of space before the actual show and then I, and then I obsess for like a month. So then I'm obsessed and then I know everything about everybody and then I'm very happy. But before then I'm like, eh, this is not this month's problem. That's fair, it's like, fair. you know, it's an April, May yeah. <laughs> well I'm in I'm a, a little bit in that obsession stage right now. I love that. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm very, excited I'm too. Happy. And and I'm even like I, I almost feel like even I have a, a villain almost because of this poor boy band. Like it's not their fault, but I'm like, I don't need this. No. No. I know. But it's like what are they they're living they're living in the early two thousands. It's, it's yeah, like it's, it's not for me. 24. Get with the time. Louis Walsh, what are you doing? Yeah, and I'm sure they're all lovely boys, but I'm like, no, yes. no. <laughs> okay, well now let's, let's just quickly circle back, back down to the to the bitters, back down to the bitters. Are there any more thoughts we'd like to share on these bitters? I, I Besides think more, please. More, please, and more cask. Uh, just saying, I know, I know they're out there. I've seen these beer engines in action. They were all in working order. So just wherever they've gone. Okay, I'm gonna exactly. I'm gonna I need, counter I need a your point. Education. I'm gonna counter ah. your demands there, Lisa. Like I love <laughs> cask and I and I think more would be great, but bad cask is Oh no, no, it's gotta be done. Worse well. than no cask. I agree, so, I agree. I feel like it's one of these things where you could almost have a pub that has cask, like under underdog has you know been saying yeah. that's cool, because then the management is in house, right? But and they know what the they're idea, doing, yep. Yeah. The idea of everybody just sending their beers and thinking it's going to pull well on cask, I'm not, I'm not here for that. No, no, no. We've got it's got to be the right thing. And but mm. I would love to see someone making something for a dedicated regular cask, whatever mm. night, whatever you know, like it used to be in the old days at the Underdog, where there would be every Friday, new cask, and just uh, you know, now that we don't get them all from the UK because Brexit, eh, it would be nice to see mm. someone here making something. That's that's you all. Get them from Northern Ireland though, with no fees like it's like the little golden ah, but, opportunity but well, let's anyway, open up that can of let's worms. not talk politics let's not talk <laughs> politics <laughs> so for 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 the listeners that topic itself will come up very soon yes. uh, not necessarily for cask but it's coming 
we're going to talk about it. Um, yes, it's it's all there. Um, but yeah, definitely more bitters, right? They can be in cans. They Absolutely. Can Absolutely. Bottles, but all good. Yes. And and oh, I loved your preview there. They could be in cans. Maybe they'll have to be in bottles. What are we talking about? <laughs> Tune in next time to find out. So indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Or one of the next times. Yes, one of the next times. <laughs> it's happening. It's and happening soon. <laughs> We're very organized. You can see that. We yes, yes. Totally, oh, we are. Yeah. Yes. Welcome back to Beer Ladies 2024. <laughs> we're we're still in season four, just in case it's confusing. But yes, we're very organized this season. <laughs> but hell, it's lovely to be back. Oh, and by yes. the way, we haven't quite yet decided whether we're back weekly or bi-weekly. It might be a little bit of a mixed bag for now, but we'll see. We'll figure it out. We will see. So there we go. I think we'd we'd all love to to be putting out the content weekly, but life gets in the way. Oh, you know. Big time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But we will say we've got a lot to discuss this season. We've got some very cool things lined up. And obviously one of us who's not here tonight because she's busy editing a book has a book coming out. So you will be hearing plenty about the book. Yes. So stay tuned. Indeed. Indeed. Well, then, you know what? I'm going to call it before we get to, before we get too distracted with everything else. Although <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always fun to chat. <laughs> Um, okay, friends, thank you very much for tuning in to the Beer Ladies podcast. And Lisa, Katie, thank you so much for bringing your knowledge and your questions and your perspectives. It's awesome. Um, yes, and to the brewers everywhere, please make more bitters. We do love them. They're delicious. Um, yes. Oh, and by the way, Lisa is running what seems to be an amazing, you know, awareness campaign of Beer Ladies on Threads. Have you guys downloaded there Threads we yet? There yeah. we are. So Threads, Threads is soon fast becoming the primary socially media place along with instagram i'd say lisa yeah so. yeah we're, we're trying not to go over to the what's happened to poor twitter that it, it's uh, yeah no it's it's dreadful over there yeah so so if you're interested in the in the daily musings and sharings of links and things then head over to threads and if you don't follow us on instagram already do that otherwise you know the deal website has always got everything for you here cool. here all right, see you next time. Bye, friends. Bye. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 